0: Listening to the Keefe to the City podcast. All right, the Yankees and Mets finished up the first part, the first half of the 2018 Subway Series, the City Field edition, with the Yankees taking two out of three games at City Field, losing the Sunday night game, the game uh, everyone, I think. Seemingly thought they'd win entering the game with Luis Severino on the mound going against Seth Lugo, but the Yankees dropped that one falling into the off day on Monday, but sitting at 42 and 19 with the best record in Major League Baseball is the first place Yankees um, as they get ready for a, a nice little home stand here uh, mixed up with the quick trick back to Washington for the suspended game and the one game there and Joining me today to talk Yankees baseball is Andrew Rotondi of Bronx Pinstripes and the Bronx Pinstripes podcast. Um, you can hear him and, and read him there and also follow him on Twitter at Andrew underscore Rotondi. Andrew, how's it going today?
1: Good, Neil. Thanks for having me. You said you can read me on the website too. I don't think I've written anything in about a year. <laughs> it's just been so so damn busy with uh, with the podcast and everything. But yes, you, you used to be able to read me there.
0: All right, we'll read you on Twitter listen to you on the podcast then. There we go. Hour. Uh well the, the Yankees take 2 out of 3 against the Mets in the Subway Series and it's you know always the Subway Series brings out the best in the uh you know the old the old grumpy baseball fans who pine for the days when interleague play didn't exist um and I feel like at this point I'm in the minority of people who enjoy the Subway Series I enjoy interleague play um you know in a 162 games, 6 month season there's only so many series you can have back to back against the Blue Jays and Orioles or against the Rays. It's good to have these, you know, maybe not necessarily post esque series because the Mets are so bad, but it does, you know, break up the season in a nice way and it makes some games more meaningful than others. So are you on board with the, uh, with the subway series still here? You know uh, what is it? 20 some 21 years after it began.
1: I guess so. I mean, it's, like you said, it, it is more interesting than the 18th matchup against the Tampa Tampa Bay Devil Rays, so fine. I guess I'd rather watch the Yankees-Mets than the Yankees-Blue Jays or whatever. But can we just get on the same page as far as the rules of the game and not have a, <laughs> not have the DH in one league and no DH in the other league? Because I think that's what everyone, at least that's what I'm most annoyed with. And it's not just because of the Tanaka injury. I think we're going to get into the Tanaka injury. And my opinion is that a grown... A grown athlete should be able to run 90 feet in a straight line without blowing both of his hammies. But it still highlights the fact that it's absolutely moronic that a professional sports league has different rules in each league.
0: I agree. And I'm, you know, I don't care. I'm not one of the people that is complaining just because Tanaka got hurt the way Chen Ming Wang got hurt eight years ago. I'm complaining because you're asking uh you know major league pitchers to do something they haven't done since childhood in some cases and go up and hit major league pitching which everyday hitters have a have a tough enough time doing and now you're asking guys who do it once or twice a year uh it's just ridiculous i mean in in no other professional sport and none of the other major sports is there some you know such a great disadvantage um at any point in the game and at some point you just have to adopt a designated hitter and it's and it's shocking that it hasn't happened yet and I understand you know national league owners will be against it um, probably for financial reasons, but you'd think the players union at this point would be um, you know pressing hard if not they if they're not already doing so because you know it's a 15 million dollar plus per year position and uh, 15 of the teams don't have that position.
1: yeah you're you're totally right and then for every you, you make this argument with a national league baseball fan and they'll immediately say, well, don't you remember uh, Bartolo Colon hitting the home run or his helmet <laughs> falling off? And don't you know, like Madison Bumgarner is a real hitter. He's got five home runs or whatever it is over the last three years. Those are their only two examples. So out of the thousands and thousands of pitchers who go up and bat each year, they point to two things that happened in the last 10 years and act like that's justification for having the freaking pitcher hitting in the National League. <laughs> because 99.9% of the time, it is a waste of five minutes of, out of our life. Like, look what Severino did up up, up at bat sunday night he was up there trying to hit the ball 500 feet he's lucky he didn't pull an oblique muscle or something <laughs> and you got chapman laughing on the bench and everything fine like that provides 20 seconds of entertainment but it's not worth it i
0: agree and on the tanaka thing the, the fact that a professional athlete who's on a 155 million dollar contract can't run 90 feet without blowing out both it's his insane. hamstrings is so embarrassing and it's not, it's not just that he's a pitcher. It's just be a person and, and <laughs> run 90 feet. It's, it's honestly outrageous. I thought at first when I read on Twitter while it was happening that it was like a joke and, and yep. sort of poking fun at what happened to Wong eight years ago. But the fact that now he's out for a month because he ran from third to home. And, and the crazy thing is, on top of this, he twisted his ankle stepping on the plate. So we're lucky he not only has you know two straight hamstrings, but he, he almost broke his ankle in the process.
1: It's it's it really is insane. And I get it like they're not used to running the bases, but he wasn't asked to go score from first on a triple in the gap or anything like that. He went station to station. He should be able to run 90 feet and pitchers very often have to sprint over to cover first base. So it's not like he pulled the hamstring because he had to run fast. So so what what is it? Is he not conditioned properly? Can, Can he only run 45 feet and the 90 feet is what really is the problem for him? Like, this is what we're dealing with. It's, I, I'd love to say I was surprised. Like, when I saw the news, I, I laughed just like you because it is so ridiculous. But uh, of course, it would happen to Tanaka, too.
0: Yeah. And the Subway series was a very weird series in the sense that. Um, you know, I knew they'd have a tough time scoring off Degrom in the first game, and you just wanted to hold it close and get to the bullpen, which they didn't need to do since you know Gardner gets the big hit against Degrom. Um, but but then to to not hit the next night against Matts, a lefty who they've you know been crushing lefties this year, and then on Sunday night to you know get two hit by Seth Lugo is just unacceptable. <laughs> and <laughs> and while the Yankees are 42 and 19, and I'm sure there's plenty of fan bases who um, you know hate to hear us criticizing the best team in baseball but they, they really are capable of being better than they than they've played if you if you look at some of the stars on the team who will get to that have underperformed but the fact that uh you know this team had had struggled mightily against Seth Lugo um and they really did struggle mightily for basically the entire series against a Mets team that looks completely lost and looks like it just wants the season to be over
1: you are right that the team has not hit its full potential yet, and it's not just for the reasons that you mentioned, like like Sanchez and Stanton not performing to where we expected them, but they've also played sloppy at times. Uh, they make the hard defensive plays beautifully, and then they make the boneheaded defensive plays or the the base running mistakes, like we saw Glaber and Aaron Hicks get picked off bases in this series so you're right they have not played up to their potential but I can't sit here and bitch about the offense because it's it is the best offense in baseball with all of those guys that haven't reached their full potential yet so yeah you're right you get shut down by Seth Lugo if it becomes a trend I'll get mad but I can't get mad just from that one game
0: Yeah, I agree But I think maybe bitching about the offense Isn't the right way to put it But when it comes to the lineup I feel like even though they they have the best You know, the most amount of runs in baseball Even though they are the best team in baseball um, The lineup still drives me crazy every day And I don't know if we'll ever see The most optimal possible lineup for the Yankees And if we do I don't think we'll ever see a back-to-back days because I don't think there's been consecutive days with the same lineup for this team through the first 61 games of the season. And the fact that Glaber Torres is still batting ninth despite all he's done, and the fact that Aaron Boone's one of these idiots who puts the hitter behind the pitcher against NL teams is just so nonsensical. You've got Glaber Torres, most likely going to be the rookie of the year in the league, an untouchable player for the Yankees, and he's batting behind Tanaka and Severino. It's just it's just absurd.
1: Neil, let me educate you about turning the lineup over. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard of this concept before? Of course it's stupid. Of course it's <laughs> stupid. But at least we don't have to deal with all that all of the time because— most of the time we have the DH. So what is the optimal line? Like, what do you think the optimal lineup is? Game one of the American League Division Series. Everybody is healthy, knock on wood. What's the lineup you want to see?
0: Well, I feel like before I get to that, I feel like we're almost... In 2010, Joe Girardi uh, batted Mark Teixeira third the entire season. And, you know, it drove me nuts. Cano would hit fifth. A-Rod would hit fourth. The first game of the ALDS that year he put cano third and to share fifth like he was just holding it in his back pocket the entire season and i have a feeling if the playoffs started tomorrow glaber torres would not hit ninth i just have this feeling that you know out of nowhere they're just going to start hitting the kid you know higher in the lineup but
1: well he has hit fifth he has hit, he hit fifth for like ways. a day
0: and then I you know, know then the next day he had it off because he's tired as a 21 year old player but <laughs> but for the optimal lineup right now you know i was gardner was a month ago playing himself out of the leadoff role but since May 4th, he's you know, back to his old self, even better than his old self. He's hitting three thirty three since then with you know, a high on base, and he's been coming up with you know, big hits. Nobody sees more pitches in the league than him, so having him first is fine. Judge hits second because he's been the best here on the team for two years. But after that, uh, I, I want to see uh, Judge, Stanton, and Sanchez, those three, batting consecutively in some order for at least—give me, me it for like a week. Just give it like give it to they me did. more than every once in a while against the lefty. You know, the they have the potential. Right now they're not playing like it, but they have the potential to be the three best hitters on the team, let alone three of the best power hitters in the entire majors. So give me the three best hitters stacked up, two, three, four. And then trickle in, you know, Bird, um, and Didi and Anduar and Torres in some order after that. Um but the I don't know. I just feel like they've they've been so adamant about getting Bird into the three-hole as if, you know, he just sort of picked up where he left off in the postseason last year. But people forget. I mean, he hasn't played—you know, he played— you know the second half of 2015 missed all of 2016 missed basically all of last year has missed basically all of this year and he just gets to automatically go in the three hole whereas other guys it takes them three to four months to earn a spot that high in the order um i just i just don't get the reasoning behind some of the moves but the number one move that has to be made in the lineup is aaron hicks has to bat ninth because (laughs) the guys you know lucky enough to be on the team if they want to take the hit as an offensive player because he can play center field and has a good arm, that's fine. But he has to bat ninth. He has no power. He certainly doesn't deserve the bat leadoff on the days that Gardner gets a rest. But if, if I keep seeing Hicks batting sixth with regularity, I'm going to lose my mind.
1: Well, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. <laughs> First of all, I, I do remember the big three righties batting consecutively for a solid two weeks to start the season.
0: They did on opening day. And then no, he instantly they for went a to Gregorius while. to split him up.
1: Well, Didi was the best player in yeah. the American League. But at the point, April. he
0: had not been. He was. He hadn't even warmed up yet. But then, well, I'll let you continue.
1: Okay, <laughs> but what I'm saying, but but I I see what you're saying, and on paper it looks great. But watching, we watch these players play every day. Do you really want to see Judge? sanchez and Stanton all batting back to back to back because it's going to be a lot of swings and misses and a lot of ugly at bats especially out of Stanton and sanchez judge even when i don't feel like he's having a good night puts together good at bats he's going to work the count he will we'll get on base with a few walks sometimes Stanton and sanchez go up there and they swing at that slider in the dirt every single time and the pitcher could tell them it's coming and they will still freaking swing at it so I, I while i understand what you're saying Breaking those guys up is not the worst thing in the world. And the the reason I think it's it's um Bird is the same reason it was Didi in April, because Boone just likes to see the lefty there. So I think that's if if Bird was a right-handed hitter, we wouldn't be talking about this. The fact that he's lefty breaks it up nicely.
0: I mean, I'm the biggest Greg Bird fan for a guy who has a two twenty two career average that there is, but Even I would say if you have to put the lefty there, and then I think you have to put Didi there because Bird's striking out at a percentage equal to you know Stanton and Sanchez at this point. At least Didi, while he goes up there and hacks at the first pitch, um, you know, in a significant amount of his at bats, at least he puts the ball in play and he's not striking out. So I I I don't know. I just feel like. they should just stack the best potential hitters whether sanchez is you know hitting below 200 right now whether stanton looks anything other than an mvp um i just i just feel like they have to do that for at least a couple weeks and they can always say oh well you know their first place they're 42 and 19 without having had to do that yet but um i don't know it just it just pains me to see some of these guys you know whether it was dd struggling for an entire month and then finally getting moved down or Bird coming, you know, out of nowhere and automatically getting to hit third after hitting like sixth for one day. Um and Hicks never has to hit below six, which is just crazy. Like the guy's Bernie Williams or something. And then Anduar and Torres, they can get three extra base hits every day for three weeks and they still hit eighth, eighth and ninth. So I just want some sort of like I wanna be able to know what like if some if player X does this, he gets to hit here. It just seems like Everything is just sort of like eh, whatever, and 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 I'm sh- obviously analytics and things go into play, but it just doesn't have that feel.
1: Well, the reason the team, the offense, has been the best in baseball is not because of the three, four, five hitters. It's because of the eight and nine hitters. The production they've gotten out of Andujar and Glaber Torres has been better than any team in baseball good enough to qualify them for tops tops like anduar extra base hits he's up there and i know at one point he was second in the league in doubles glaber torres is is hitting home runs on pace for like a 50 homer season so the production they're getting out of the bottom of the lineup is really what has driven this offense because the top of the order has been inconsistent for all the reasons we just said
0: yeah, and and what's crazy is some fans will say, "Oh, don't move Torres, you know, from ninth because he's comfortable there, he's doing well." Well, that's then Aaron Judge should have just hit eighth all of last season, I guess. And Derek right. No, Jeter, I get it. And Derek Jeter should have hit ninth his whole career because that's where he started out. But I don't know, I don't know what either of them has to do, and. Torres more so than Anduar because I think while Anduar, you know, he goes on these stretches where he, you know, hits two doubles a day. Um, he is, you know, he he swings at everything. And at this stage of his career, okay, he's a rookie. I get it. Torres looks, you know, way more seasoned than he does. He puts together good and lengthy at-bats seemingly every time at the plate. So if Anduar has to stay at the bottom because of, you know, his on-base percentage and his, his knack to swing at everything, that's fine. But at this point, Torres, I mean – He's got to go higher than ninth. He's got to be in the top half of the lineup somehow.
1: I agree with you, and it, ideally, he would really be a number two hitter.
0: Yes, and I would have no if you if you put him second and moved everyone down, and now Judge is third, and Stan or Sanchez is fourth, and you made and you lengthened the lineup that way, and you bumped Hicks down to where he belongs at ninth. I would have no problem with that. I just it just doesn't seem like you know they've given him what two chances outside of the nine hole, um, and aside from that, it just. It doesn't seem like, you know, not necessarily urgency, but it doesn't seem like in the near future, we're going to see him could cons- six consistently hit outside that spot.
1: Yeah, I think what we're going to see is especially against righties, he's going to still be nor- near the bottom, either eight or nine. I agree with you. I do not want Aaron Hicks batting lead off. I hate that Aaron Boone does it when lefties are on the mound. I would rather see Brett Gardner up there playing than Aaron Hicks. But if he's going to play Hicks, then have Glaber Torres lead off on those days.
0: I agree, and, and Hicks for some reason, you know, he's the whipping boy this season because Headley's gone and Ellsbury isn't playing. But I he's mean, been
1: okay, though. He, he hasn't been horrendous. He's,
0: he's okay, but that's it. He's he's okay. I mean, he has six home runs. Two of them are inside the park. He has absolutely no power. Uh, you know, he he's just he is what he is. This is his sixth year in the league. He's going to be twenty nine at the end of this year. Like people still treat him like he's some you know highly touted prospect. I mean. When he's 33, are we still going to be waiting for him to come around and put it together?
1: So I get in this argument about Hicks with with uh, some of our guys at Bronx Pinstripes who, who school me on some of these advanced metrics. I'm I'm, I'm slowly but sh- but surely learning. But Hicks is having his best season as far as if you look at hard hit rate and his expected weighted on base percentage, <laughs> his ex-WOBA is uh is like 350 something and his actual is much lower than that so i think what we what we found out this offseason is that that brian cashman and his team care about that shit and they're gonna they put a manager in place who's gonna listen to them so that's why aaron hicks is playing
0: yeah and i get that and i you know i'm not a you know, sabermetrician like some of your guys over at bronx pinstripes i do take into account some sabermetrics but I don't need stats to tell me that a guy who's been bad for six years, like it's like when Nick <laughs> Swisher, when people would defend him and say, oh, well, he's doing this well. It's like, I don't, you know, sometimes you just don't need stats. I mean, six years of a career is pretty good amount of time for the guy who's that. It's not like he's ever had one season where you're like, wow. Like if only he could replicate that, he's always been around the same exact number. So I had two I mean, months, I guess he's just had bad luck for six years. He's just hitting <laughs> right. the bad luck.
1: Yeah, I, well, he had two months, uh, May and June of last year. He was one of their best players, but other than that, he's been pretty mediocre.
0: And it's scary because they're treating those two months as if it were two years. And I get, yeah, and I if know. He, if he didn't have those two months, he probably wouldn't even be on the team anymore.
1: Uh, you might be right because they have they have Clint Frazier, who is absolutely tearing up AAA. And I don't know what they're going to do with Clint Frazier. They're going to trade him, I think. If I if gun to my head, I would say they're going to trade him. And that's too This bad. this deadline. I really want to see him play, but I just don't see them sitting um, Hicks. And with the way Gardner has played, like you said, since the start of May, Brett Gardner has actually been maybe their best player since the start of May. And so he's not going anywhere either. And he's got that option looming, which is pretty affordable. So if he finishes this year strong, which he very well could, I see them picking up that option. And then where does that leave Clint Frazier? Another year in Scranton? No way in hell
0: yeah and I, they're gonna trade him and they keep you know they move him around the outfield to sort of showcase his abilities as a center fielder as a left fielder and all he does there is rake and he comes up and he plays well and then he goes right back down and it sucks because he's going to realize his potential as a major leaguer on some other team they're they're gonna trade him it's a fact and now that Tanaka's is out for a month with Tehrman in the rotation who knows who now the, the new number five is gonna be um and it's going to suck really bad if Frazier becomes some, you know, all-star outfielder. And we're sitting here watching Aaron Hicks two years from now bat 247 with a 333 on base and people telling us, well, that his hard-hit balls are eventually going to fall in.
1: Well, what if Clint Frazier returns you a starting pitcher that helps you win a World Series? I don't well, think we're going to care. here's the problem
0: with that is I don't know. Okay, so from a, from a trade standpoint— Madison Bumgarner, everyone's pipe dream, but the Giants not gonna are happen. in it. The NL West is awful, so the Giants are going to be in it all the way, and that's Agreed. their franchise guy. They're not going to just trade him. And then after him, you look at say DeGrom, who, mm. aside from Bumgarner, is probably the only other guy I really want. And he's the Mets aren't going to trade him to the Yankees, so I well, don't. Also, know.
1: DeGrom would take more than Clint Frazier. He would take. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah.
0: I, so oh, easily, there's
1: there's the no thing, way I'm giving up three of the top five prospects in the system for. For Degrom, I, I people say, "Well, Jacob Degrom is one of the best pitchers in baseball." I understand that, but I am not unloading all of all of these players who are helping the Yankees win right now because you're you're cutting off your. Well, how does that saying go? You're you're cutting off your arm to oh, spite yeah. you're, something. Your to
0: spite your face. There we go. <laughs> well, I think no, I'm not saying they should do that either, and I don't really want to trade Miguel Andwar. I don't even want to trade Clint Frazier. And if if say Bumgarner's not available, Degrom's not available. Then you're looking at you know the next tier of pitchers, which is like Cole Hamels, and Danny Duffy, and Chris Archer, and just a bunch of decent and blah and crappy guys who are impending free agents. Who I don't think they really upgrade the Yankees. If if Tanaka gets healthy and you go into a short series with you know what they did last year with Severino, Tanaka, Sebastian, and if Gray's turnaround is for real, I don't think Danny Duffy and Chris Archer and this other level of pitchers below the elite guys. It's not worth unloading some of your top prospects for.
1: But they, ha- they have to trade some of them. They can't all oh, play on Oh, I understand that. I-,
0: I do understand that. And I think hopefully there's a deal where, you know, sort of what we saw with the great gray deal, gray deal where you can either give up guys with, you know, you know sort of, you know, not the uh, top, top of the prospect, which the only guy I really care about protecting is Frazier and I guess Justice Sheffield. If Estevan Florio has to go, he has to go. He's so far away. Yeah, if, if I don't – guys who are far away – that's, that's like a million years away. So to me, whatever. That, that does it. If Estefan Florial gets traded and the Yankees win the World Series and in 10 years he's you know, Mike Trout, maybe I'd you know, say, oh, that sucks, but we won a World Series. No, so. you'll,
1: you'll, you'll really care. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, at, the, at the same time, I don't think – I don't just – maybe the market hasn't developed enough, but there's no one really out there that I think is worth trading for, let alone for top prospects or middling prospects. Anyone, I don't see who's an upgrade.
1: And I think that's why we're going to see them wait until the deadline. People – like everyone's saying, well, they should go out and get their guy now because of Tanaka's injury, because of Sabathia's – seemingly he could go down at any minute. They've got all these holes in the rotation. Why wouldn't they go out and get a starter now? And the answer is because, like you said, there's just a bunch of average pitchers out there right now. Who knows what teams are going to fall out of it by July 20th? This team, the Yankees can be the best – can have one of the two best records in baseball with the team as it is constituted now. So they don't need to go out and get a starting pitcher now on, July, on June 11th. They can wait a month.
0: Yeah, I agree. And if, and if it, you know, you're looking at the guys we named or maybe there's someone else out there, who is the guy that you would want to see if, you know, if we're not talking about Bumgarner or DeGrom or someone on that level?
1: Well, uh, I do like Corbin out of Arizona, but for the same reasons you said the Giants aren't trading uh, Bumgarner, the Diamondbacks aren't trading Corbin because they're in that race. I think Cole Hamels, you you called him blah. I I think he's slightly better than that. Yeah. He's actually – he's the only problem with him is he makes a lot of money, and I think that they're still trying to get under that luxury tax. So unless the um, Rangers eat some of it, Then I don't know if they're going to make that trade.
0: Yeah, and you know when he pitched well against the Yankees a few weeks ago, um, I wrote a thing: should the Yankees trade for Cole Hamels? And my argument was they should because you know I shouldn't have earlier put him in the block category with Duffy and Archer and those guys, but um, I do think that Hamels. You know, if you can't get the elite guy, he's your next best bet because he's not going to cost that much. The Rangers just want to shed his money for the rest of the season. And while I don't trust him at all, I mean, if if he's pitching Game Three of the ALDS, I have no trust in him. But there are he, there he he does have the ability to you know go out there and give you seven shutout innings, which some of these other guys that they might trade for don't have the ability to. So, um, you know, people when they mention Cole Hamels now, they talk. You know, 2008 NLCS MVP, World Series MVP, like that wasn't a decade ago. Um, And it's not like he didn't give up on his team the next year in the World Series against the Yankees. So (laughs) uh, I don't know that uh, there is a guy out there, but if it were Cole Hamels, I would take that because I don't think they would have to give up that much to get him.
1: Well, again, I think it comes back to, are the Rangers eating money or are they not? Because if they're eating money, then you're going to have to give up a slightly better prospect. But if they're not, then I think you could get him for a mid-level prospect, in which case, great.
0: Yeah. And I think think we'll probably see something along those lines because... There's just no chance that the Mets are going to make a deal with the Yankees. And I don't, I mean, would you want to give up Anduar? I, I don't want to give him up for a guy who's, you know, one pitch away at all times from, you know, having Tommy John surgery or hurting his shoulder.
1: Who are you talking about?
0: Like, if, I mean, if, if they, if DeGran was on the table and it started with oh. Anduar, would you give up Anduar?
1: Yeah. You would. The only guy, the only guy I'm absolutely not trading is Glaber.
0: Wow. And then you just put Jury a third? Yeah. All right. I mean,
1: that was the plan in spring training anyway. Yeah. And people are true. saying, well, why don't they trade Brandon Jury?" Because the guy is seeing four of everything right now. No, <laughs> Well, team maybe you is don't want to... him
0: playing third base for your World Series contending team then.
1: I, yeah, I get I, that. That's also a good argument. But, but he has absolutely no trade value. And Duhar, as great as he has been, his trade value has never been higher. And I don't think they put him in an untouchable category. The next – so my number one untouchable is Glaber. My number two is Justice Sheffield.
0: That's fair. And I think that's, that's a good way to put it. I think, you know, when you look at position player wise, the core of the team is intact enough that they could, you know um, they could shed Andrew our, they could shed Frazier and, and it wouldn't change much. Um, but yes, I think uh, it, it's, it would obviously take one of those guys or at, if not both of them to, to land an elite pitcher. I just don't know if they're going to be there and, and who there's going to be at, at any chance. Um, but hopefully it's not a Duffier an Archer, those guys, because I just don't think they make a significant upgrade to the team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's also the J.A. Hap rumors.
0: Yeah. Like, and I don't know that they God. would trade within the division either.
1: Right. But that just seems like a slightly better version of Jaime Garcia.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we don't need five innings, 103 pitches, and four <laughs> walks every year. I mean,
1: he's, he's, he's fine. He's serviceable, but like... J A Happ, J A Happ is not winning no. them any playoff games. So, yeah,
0: if, if the goal is to win the World Series, j Happ is not is not you know going up against Justin Verlander in Game you know two of the ALCS and and you know putting and matching him zero for zero. So, I, I just I don't know. I feel like you either stand pat or you have to somehow get an elite guy. I don't think there. I don't think you should go for the middle guys because it's just not worth it this season. It seems like. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, see, well, I don't think they're going to stand pat though, because no, the optic can't. the optics of that look really bad. <laughs> and I, th- no, seriously, um, but I, I think pe- what people are kind of overlooking is that it doesn't matter who they really get acquire on the on the trade deadline, unless like like Degrom or Bumgarner comes over, falls into their lap. If they're not acquiring somebody elite like that, the only way this team is going to win a World Series if Sonny Gray pitches like we hope he can pitch. Yes. And it's kind of the elephant in the room. And uh, Scott and I have talked about it a billion times. Uh, but Sonny Gray needs to get his act together or else this team is going to fizzle out in the playoffs.
0: I agree. And I, you know, Sonny Gray has just been awful this entire season until the last two starts when he shut down the Orioles and the Blue Jays, who also are two very bad teams. But if you look at Major League Baseball this season, Outside of the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros, the Mariners, the Angels, and the Indians, and the AL, everyone else sucks. So most of his starts are going to come against bad teams. And, you know, he'll he'll have his shutdown performances against them like he did, you know, eight innings, one run, seven innings, one run, things like that. But it's against the good teams um, where Sonny Gray has, has not been good at all. And in the starts, he's had five starts against teams 500 or better this year and has a 760 ERA and a 1.859 whip. So, Sonny Gray has not been very good against teams that we would need him to be good against in October, but like you said, if he can ever find his old self and the self that, you know, when the Yankees traded for him, I was ecstatic because he's a front-end guy, and I thought he would slot right in there with Tanaka behind Severino, but he has not been that guy, and if he can ever find himself, then, well, they just got the front-end guy they've been looking for, and they don't even need to trade for him.
1: Well, yeah. Sonny Gray has had – you're right. It's been two good starts in a row and it's been three out of four. The bad one came at home and that's been a trend with him is he can't pitch at Yankee Stadium. Actually, his road starts as a Yankee dating back to last year have been pretty good, which is also scary. The, his next start is coming <laughs> at home against the Nationals. That's a good team. Yeah. The Nationals are going to be a playoff team. That's a good lineup. So let's see what he does. I, I did – I was encouraged from his start in in Toronto. He threw double the amount of fastballs he's thrown all year. And I know the Yankees pitching uh, coaches tell them to throw more breaking balls, but maybe it just doesn't work for Sonny Gray.
0: Yeah, maybe it doesn't. And I know that, you know, if you look at Tanaka now, he throws the least amount of fastballs in the league before he strained both of his hamstrings running 90 feet. Um, and and maybe Gray needs to go against the grain on that and do his own thing. And I, he just needs to find whatever it was he was doing before he became a Yankee and, and do that because... When, you know, like I said last July, when they got this guy for what they gave up, it it seemed like a steal at the time. And it certainly still is a steal because of what those three will likely ever become. But I don't know. I just feel like somewhere deep down in there is the guy who, you know, pitched a shutout against the Tigers in the playoffs and had a 2.08 ERA five years ago against the Tigers in the playoffs.
1: I agree with you. And I think unless that guy shows up, this team's not winning a World Series.
0: Yeah, and, and while I you know, everyone loves Luis Severino and you know I do too, I thought that Gray would be right there with him with numbers this year. I thought he had the potential to possibly be the Yankees best pitcher. Um and that certainly has not been the case at all.
1: Now Severino's on another level. We didn't see it. I think we needed to see Severino back up his season last yeah. year, and he has. I he's a top five pitcher in baseball. Sonny Gray's not a top five pitcher in baseball, but he can be a top twenty pitcher in baseball.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know, two years ago, Gary Sanchez, when he was laying the world on fire with you know basically a two run home run game two home run game every other day. It was must see TV every time he came to the plate. Now, every time he comes to the plate, it's three sliders in the dirt and a strikeout. And I just have no idea what he's doing at the plate. He looks lost. He he almost looks just lazy, like he's just waving at pitches, undisciplined, swing at everything. And for a guy who looks so calm and cool when he steps in the box and he's resting the bat on his shoulder and he has sort of a Manny Ramirez, you know, type stance, you you think he's going to do damage every time at the plate. And now he's hitting under two hundred. We're we're two months into the season. Um, I don't. I don't when is Gary Sanchez going to start being Gary Sanchez?
1: August. that's his best best month (laughs) historically august is his best month but yeah i don't know what is going on with him at the plate i thought he would be out of his slump by now uh i i thought he got off to a really good start this season especially defensively and then there was something like late april it was like the last week of april where he had three pass balls in a matter of like five innings and it just seems to have turned ever since then yeah and i I don't, I'm not saying is his his defense is affecting his offense or vice versa, but I, he does look lost, and I don't know when he's going to find it. His last good game was a four-hit game in Kansas City. And then because Sonny Gray needs a personal catcher, Gary Sanchez was on the bench the next day. <laughs> and he hasn't hit since then.
0: Yeah, and, and the crazy thing is if you think about that four-hit game – he had the game where he destroyed Price in Boston. He had the walk-off uh, home run against the Twins at Yankee Stadium and the 3-run home run off Giles in Houston. Outside of those four games, really those are the only moments he's had all season. Do you think he's going to hit though? I do. I mean, he's I've never worried about him. I you know, when he started out so bad and he was and then in Boston he got on fire and I was like Okay, here we go. This is Gary Sanchez, and he's going to go off from here. But then he we went. It's like he just went up really high, and then he crashed right back down to where he was. And I mean, when you look at 190 on June 11th, that's pretty bad.
1: It's, yeah, it's very ugly. Especially, <laughs> it's very ugly for a guy that a lot of quote unquote experts experts say is the best hitter in this lineup.
0: Yeah, it's 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 actually scary. And you brought up the personal catcher point, which we didn't even touch on, which is you know. I think my favorite gripe of all with the Yankees, the fact that Sonny Gray and, you know, he finally got his ERA under five in the last two starts. He had to give up one run in 14 innings to do so. But the, guy, the fact that that guy can pick and choose who his catcher is, it's just outrageous.
1: I hate personal catchers. Um, I have spent many, many hours on the podcast bitching about personal catchers, but I've come to accept it. And if it gets Sonny Gray to be pitching better, then fine. I still think, though, that he, they're going to test Sanchez with Sonny Gray again at some yeah, you point have this to. season. You yeah. cannot
0: start Austin Romine in a playoff no, game. No, I don't
1: care what 30 plate appearances say. Like Austin Romine got hot for a few yes, games. Everyone still needs sucks. to calm down.
0: Yes, Austin Romine is, is a serviceable backup catcher, if that –
1: you know, he—he's no, a serviceable back, serviceable backup catcher, and that's not an insult. No, you need a backup catcher, and he is a—he's a good backup catcher. But that's what he is. And he's they are—they are
0: setting a wild precedent for him to be started Game Three of a playoff series with Sonny Gray starting because they did it. I mean, Joe Girardi did it last year in two thousand nine. They started Jose Molina over Jorge Posada when Burnett pitched. But I don't. The thing with the personal if if Sonny Gray goes out there and dominates every time, that's one thing. But You know, two Saturdays ago, when he's giving up, you know, seven runs in three innings to the Angels with his personal catcher, you know, how how exact of a science are we making this? Yeah, but his stuff was good that night. (laughs) That was that was all time when he said that. That was I I was if that's his good stuff. I'm scared. It's scared (laughs) to see when he's off.
1: Uh, Well, like I said again, I was really encouraged by the the Toronto start because of the fastball usage and. Uh, he, he went from, I think it was, uh, 32% fastballs in, in his previous starts this season to 65% in that start. That's a huge jump. And that's what he threw. He threw about 55 to 65% fastballs when he was with Oakland. So you talked about maybe he just needs to start doing what he did in Oakland. Well, fastballs is a start.
0: Well, we keep talking about Gary Sanchez. When's he going to get hot? When's Sonny Gray going to go on his run? No one gets hyped up about going on a hot streak or a run like John Carlos Stanton and you know, every time the guy hits a home run is, oh, is this the month he hits 15? And, you know, maybe he doesn't do that again this season. Like, maybe he never does that again, ever. But if John Carlos Stanton finishes the year in the 30s for home runs, that's that's a real big disappointment.
1: <laughs> well, he's on pace for over 40, isn't he?
0: He's on, Right now, he's on pace for 40 and 90 RBIs, which is, to me, that's a disappointment.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's a disappointment because he's the reigning NL uh an LMVP. I'm so I, I think Stan has looked absolutely horrendous at times. We've seen him strike out five times in a game. The platinum sombrero is the ugliest thing you can do. Judge kind of one upped him when he struck out eight times on Monday, a couple <laughs> Mondays ago in that doubleheader. Stan's looked horrible at times, but he has also had to go through a lot of transition. He's playing a new position, he's playing in a new league, he's playing in a new city. I don't like giving passes to players. You sound like a fact but the fact that he is on pace for 40 and 90 and he has not been good yeah. is kind of telling you something. I think he will be good. So if he has a second half, that's like 75% of what he did last year in the second half. Well, then we're talking about like 45 or 50 home runs and over a hundred RBIs.
0: Yeah. And certainly if he does go off and do that, then you know it, it will have been worth it. But for like you mentioned, Judge, when I mean I'm him with the strikeouts, the thing with Judge is you alluded to it earlier on the podcast is that when he is striking out, you know, it's six and seven and eight pitch at bats where he's you know fouling off pitches or or taking good pitches and then you know he'll just wave and miss out a slider, but he he rarely ever chases anymore. And Stanton's sort of in the category with Sanchez, where he'll just go up there and give you like the worst at bat you've ever seen in your life.
1: Peak peak Sanchez. Or excuse me, Peak Stanton might be better than Peak Judge, but baseline Judge is better than baseline Stanton.
0: I agree. And- every
1: day, every day I think Judge is a much more complete player than than Giancarlo Stanton.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, being up in Toronto for opening day and when he hit those, you know, when he hit the first home run. You It was sort of like, wow, you know, because there's been so many big name Yankees that come over that take three weeks to, you know, hit a home run or do something. And then when he hits the second home run, you're like, this is going to be unbelievable this season. But you take away that game and you take away the two against Keichel, and now he has 11 home runs in all the other games. That's, uh, it's okay, a
1: little you can't worrisome. Take away, you can't take away home runs from
0: guys. Well, no, don't take them away. But the fact that four of them came in, you know, two games know. is a little worrisome.
1: I see what you're saying. He did go through a stretch a couple years ago where he struck out 17 times, or excuse me, 16 times in 17 at bats. So, <laughs> so we haven't. You're not seen, worried about it. We haven't seen that level of suck yet. You're not worried. No, I'm not worried. I'm you, not worried about the offense. I I'm feel very like you're, worried you're, about. I'm very worried about the starting pitching. I'm not worried about the offense.
0: And when it comes to the bullpen, worried or not worried?
1: Not worried because I think the talent level will will show up. Uh, Chapman's been really good this year and he's pitching with knee tendinitis. Batanzas his his ERA might not look look good, but he has looked a hell of a lot better than he did last year. I still don't think Boone should ever use him in a second inning. No, and he still I think he can't hold his
0: with that.
1: He still can't hold runners on. So in a key situation, Batanzas still makes me shake, but he has been better. Yes. Roberts Robertson, I think is was overused at some points this season. Um, Warren's back now. Canely, he's obviously not healthy. So uh, I think the bullpen has enough talent in it to, to still be a strength of this team. Uh, obviously if I had to rank them, I'm least worried about the offense, then the bullpen, then the starting pitching, but there's a huge gap between the starting pitching and the bullpen.
0: Yeah, and I think the thing with Batances is, you know, he was the MVP of this team during the, you know, 14, 15, 16 seasons. He was one of the only bright spots and one of the only reasons to even watch the team. And people were so quick to crush him last year down the stretch and in the playoffs and early this season. And now he's been pretty great the last few weeks. And no one's, I don't see anything positive. Like, no one's like, oh, Batances is back. Anything? I just feel like eh, people are just like, oh, what, whatever, like, they crushed this guy. He's a homegrown Yankee, you know, from New York City. The team tried to screw him over, you know, in arbitration. Has never said a bad thing. Always does things the right way. Is an easy guy to root for. And people were just so quick to jump on him after he was so great for four years.
1: Yeah, Randy Levine brainwashed everybody. <laughs> uh, I agree. I agree with you. He was probably overworked from Girardi. Maybe that it was some of the reasons why he he crapped out towards the ends of some of those seasons. Um I don't Boone has not overused these guys he's kind of spread the workload so I'm going to still take the wait and see approach on Boone uh and his bullpen management but hopefully in September we don't have Batansis or one of these guys totally fried.
0: Yeah. And this the scary thing is for, you know for as good as this team has been 42 and 19 best record in the league you know 33 and 10 since their 99 start um you look around the AL and hopefully they win the division. I think I really do believe they're going to win it going away because they've gotten, you know, for as few good teams as there are in the AL, they've already played most of those teams. Whereas the Red Sox second half schedule is going to be brutal. And you know, the Yankees, I I just feel like are going to win comfortably down the stretch, take the division. But then you look at, you know, you're either facing Cleveland or Houston or Boston or possibly Anaheim or Seattle in a five game series. You know, there's, it's sort of there's no good way about going this there's no easy path to not only get to the ALCS but to the World Series where you know in the years that they did win the World Series they you know would be able to sweep their first round opponent and the second you know the ALCS wasn't as challenging as it might be now but the the Yankees could win 110 games and and still easily lose in the first round I think that's what scares me more than anything is that for as good as this team is and as good as they can be if everything starts finally firing on all cylinders uh, it could be a very disappointing October as easily as it could be a great October.
1: And you're scared. It's because of the starting rotation after Luis Severino, who, if he's up against Justin Verlander, could easily lose one nothing. Yeah. And then what do you have? You need a se- you need a second starting pitcher to step up. I'm also not as confident as you that they're going to win the division going away. Um, They've got 13 games left with the Red Sox. I think whoever wins those 13 games is going to win the division. That's how these teams are and the last three games of the season are at Fenway Park
0: yeah I mean they every time they have the last three games against the Red Sox it never ends up meaning anything and I always you know when the schedule comes out the September before I'm like oh my god like I'm gonna die watching those games and then it never means anything so I feel this like this is
1: gonna be the year no
0: it's not I <laughs> I get I'll I'd say it right now it's not gonna mean anything I have a I I've I've there's very few things I'm overly optimistic about that is one I think they won't mean anything
1: they're both on pace for like 110 wins i don't think either of them will win 110 but they could easily both win 102 or something
0: would you rather have the yankees know that you're getting the wild card before those three games or like be one game back and have to go balls to the wall to win the division and then you end up losing and now your rotation is not set up and everything i think like if you're not going to win it i feel like you are better off knowing that you have to play in the one game playoff so you can sit severino
1: yeah, obviously. If you're not going to win it, you rather know before those three games so you rest Severino, yeah. but they might do that anyway.
0: You don't want to you don't want to be, you know, one game back and pitching Severino over sale in game 162 or something like that.
1: But that's why that's why this wild card setup is more fun than the previous one.
0: That's crazy.
1: <laughs> you don't agree?
0: <laughs> well, I just feel like the two wild card team format has screwed the Yankees more than any other team because in
1: they it's, won. They won it last year. And went to the well, ALCS.
0: The only one they lost. Go through was... it in 2000. In 2013, it uh, it gave them false hope all the way till the end of the season that they could possibly get the second wild card. So they didn't do. They didn't sell anyone. They just stood pat. 2014, same exact thing. 2015, they would have reached the ALDS in the old format, but instead they had to play the Astros at home. Got shut out. 2016 they finally said we're just selling we don't care where we are in the standings which was the best thing they ever did and then last year they had to play a much inferior twins team and instantly were down three nothing with two men on and one out it could have been five nothing if chad green didn't come in and you know strike out the last two hitters the inning but they could have been a disaster if they lose last year to the twins you know with whatever they had five or six more wins that that would have been awful and you know it is exciting for teams that wouldn't make the playoffs otherwise, but to date the Yankees would have gotten a free pass to ALDS last year and in 15 and it screwed them over in 13 and 14 because they hung on to guys. They could have traded beforehand. Um, so yeah, to me, I, I just, I, I hate it.
1: Well, I, okay. I, I totally understand what you're saying from a Yankees perspective. Maybe it has not helped them, but I think from a, from an excitement of baseball perspective, which I was, I guess, speaking about, It is exciting. I'd rather see the Yankees and Red Sox play meaningful games throughout September than already know that they have the second wild card locked up, and you don't have to do anything because you're automatically in the division series. I don't find that entertaining.
0: Yeah, I think the scariest thing of all is if the Yankees playing the Red Sox in a five-game series, because a seven usually the best team wins because you know there's two extra games and the seven game series sort of tells a real story but in five games that's just way too short of a time to be playing Boston in a series with so much at stake
1: a five game series scare the crap out of me I mean look what happened with the Yankees and Indians last year the Indians everyone thought that was the best team in baseball they won 20 something games in a row and they were up two nothing against the Yankees and it just all all turned on a dime so yeah the five game series anything can happen I, this pitching staff, as it is now, is not good enough to win playoff series because because offense does not score nine runs a game in the playoffs. It never happens.
0: Yeah, ex- I know, and I think you look at what happened with Judge and Sanchez in the playoffs last year, and as soon as they got there, they didn't see anything but sliders, low and away, and you know it was strikeout, 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 and then you know they got a, they each had a you know a couple home runs and a couple big doubles here and there, but they certainly weren't what they were in the regular season, and that's the case for anyone. And I think um, you know the only good thing I think is when you look at their rotation is they were able to get, you know, one win away from the World Series last year as is. So if they are able to add a piece, I think that could put them over the hump. Uh, but, you know, winning the ALCS to me is, isn't as hard as winning the ALDS because it's a five-game series. So <laughs> I think building your team to win that is, is so much more important because you have, to, you have to win that to get to the ALCS.
1: But they got to one game of the World Series last year because Tanaka pitched like 2014 monster. Yeah, and I
0: still think he. I trust Tanaka, and not a lot of people do, and I understand that because he was garbage for all of last season, and his you know every other start is garbage this season. But I trust him for some reason in a big game. I just feel like I don't know. I just there's something about him. I don't and and he proved and he proved it right last year in the playoffs. I don't know if he'll do it again. I mean. It's not, you know, uh, it's a little concerning that the guy can't run 90 feet without <laughs> straining both his hamstrings. But um, yeah, like you said, they only got there because he was lights out. And the chance of that happening again, you know, is probably not in your best interest.
1: The dude is sitting there with icy hot on both of his <laughs> hamstrings right now in the trainer's room. And you're saying that you trust him.
0: I do. I do. Now, I don't trust him to run the bases, but I do trust <laughs> him in a big game. I don't I trust him more than I trust CeCe.
1: Uh yeah, I mean CC's been after a really strong start. He's been he's been pretty average since then. But 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 I but I think this just comes back to like we've been circling around this. They need two two starting pitchers and two starting pitchers to be pitching at elite level in the playoffs if they want to win the World Series. I don't care who the two are, they just need two of them. <laughs>
0: All right, Andrew. Well, thanks for joining me. It's good to vent a little, get your perspective mm. on things. And you were, you were very sound. I feel like you're very even keeled for this podcast. You know, usually you got something to gripe about, but I feel like you were pretty sound across the board, except at a starting pitcher.
1: that's a pretty big gripe. And also they're the best team in baseball. So (laughs) (laughs) I can only complain about so much when the scoreboard tells me they're the best team in baseball. Believe me, I complain about plenty.
0: (laughs) All right, Andrew. Well, thanks for joining me and uh, we'll have to do it again soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Neil.